Well, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to John 15. We'll be digging into the Word here today. We're entering uh, this week, the second week of a three-week series called The Good Life, titled The Good Life. And uh, the theme, the idea for this series came from John 10.10, where Jesus says, I came that they may have life and that they may have life abundantly. Last week, we looked at the story of the woman at the well and looked at Jesus's encounter with this woman and saw that the good life is satisfying. Ultimately, seeing the truth that true satisfaction can only be found in Jesus. And as we looked at this encounter, we investigated four pieces of evidence given from them to determine whether or not we can truly believe that statement to be true. And if you weren't here last Sunday or haven't listened to that message online, I would really highly encourage you to. I feel like it will be very encouraging, very beneficial for you as we kick off the new year and uh, as we walk into 2023. Speaking of 2023, we've officially had a week in this new year. And one of my friends told me yesterday, which this absolutely blew my mind. We are just as close to 2030 as we are to 2016. And uh, that idea, that reality just really baffles me to think that those two things were that far away from each of those things, respect, uh, respect, respectfully, respectively, however you say the word. But um, with the new year coming around, uh, everyone makes New Year's resolutions. Everyone has goals that they want to see, like personally, relationally, whatever the case may be. And uh, some of you may have already failed in some regards, which is OK. Without failure, we wouldn't be able to enjoy success. Some of you are still going strong. I myself personally have a few goals. Um, for me, I want to be a more all-around person by the end of 2023. I have some goals in the gym that I want to meet, and it may not look like I go to the gym now, but that's one of my goals is that by the end of the year, it will look like I go to the gym. I have set aside about 17 books that I plan to read and be edified by, and believe it or not, I want to get much better at the game of chess. I love playing chess. I've loved it for a long time. And one of my goals, one of my biggest goals in 2023 is to get better at chess. Um, it's one of my, my favorite hobbies and I absolutely love playing it. So ultimately, really by the end of 2023, um, I want to be a meathead nerd who loves Jesus. That's my goal. So if, if by, when 2024 comes, if you see me as a meathead nerd, then uh, I've accomplished all of my resolutions in 2023. But with all that being said, if you're anything like me, um, you're getting excited about some of the resolutions you've made. You've, uh, you've seen some progress or you've been committed to them. And you're excited to better yourself or better your relationships or do whatever it is that you've planned to do. Um, that's one of the great things about the new years. We get excited about things like that. Today, what I want to do is encourage us uh, all to make another New Year's resolution. And uh, this one is more important than any. And we're going to pull this resolution straight from the words of Jesus himself in John 15. In John 15, Jesus is sitting with his disciples on the final night of his life. So uh, he's already washed their feet, that, that dramatic scene. He's, uh, and they're, right now, at this point, they're just lounging together at the table. And Jesus is doing some intentional teaching with his guys. Uh, he's teaching them things about life, revealing to them things about himself and uh, he's, he starts talking about some pretty crazy, radical things, radical ideas uh, in John chapter 15. So we're going to pick up in John chapter 15, verse one, and we're going to read through verse 11. So if you would please stand to honor God's word. We're going to read the first 11 verses here. Listen to Jesus's words in this chapter, starting in verse one. Here's what he says. I'm the true vine 
and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Father, we come to you now in reverence of your word, understanding that you alone are worthy. God, as we dive in, I pray that you would open our eyes and lighten our minds to see the beautiful reality of abiding in Jesus. And give us a heart for you. Use the spirit now to have your way in us. For Jesus' glory and in his name we pray. Amen. So this passage in John 15 may seem very cryptic on the surface because Jesus basically through the whole thing uses an illustration to make his point. In this illustration, there are three main characters. There is the vine, the vine dresser and the branches. And to just put it really simply, when Jesus refers to the vine, he is referring to himself. When he refers to the vine dresser, he is referring to God, the father. And when he refers to the branches, he's referring to Christians. Now, I say that hesitantly and with quotations because there are two different types of branches that Jesus talks about here. The branch that is real and the branch that is fake. So immediately we learn from Jesus that there are true, real followers of Christ and there are fake, phony followers of Christ. And this passage in my opinion, is one of the most wrongly used and widely misunderstood passages in all of the New Testament. If you've ever heard someone preach this passage before, you may have heard them place emphasis on bearing fruit, maybe exclaiming that if you don't bear fruit, then you are not a Christian, which indeed may be true, but that isn't the point. What that emphasis does is it guilts people into not doing what they really want to do and forcing themselves to do what they don't want, even if it's the right thing. Here's what we must understand as Christians when we dive into this passage. Our goal is not to suppress our sinful desires. It is to trust Christ to transform them. Our goal is not to suppress that which is sinful in us, is to trust Christ to transform that which is sinful in us. Suppressing our sinful desires or simply keeping ourselves from sinning is not the goal. And doing this doesn't solve our deepest problem. If I can just give you a practical example, in our house, when you walk in the door, we have this pretty nice tile on the ground. The problem with this tile is that our laundry room is connected 
And the tile is like, uh, I mean, an inch maybe higher than the floor in the laundry room. And what's happened over time is as we've stepped and stepped and stepped on this tile, on this little lip that goes into the laundry room, is the tile, one time I stepped on it, and it just broke. It snapped. This one tile snapped in half completely so that like half of the tile is broken and it came off and I held it in my hand and we're like, I mean, what the heck are we supposed to do? Well, we had two options or we had probably several options in the moment. But if you know me, you know I'm an ingenious handyman. So what we decided to do was just put this broken tile back on the floor and agree to never step on that broken tile. Because if we don't step on the tile, then it's not going to fall off. If we avoid it, it'll stay exactly as is, and you can hardly tell that it's broken. Right, that's what we've short-term decided to do, and uh, it's what we're doing right now. But here's the problem with our short-term solution that we've came up with. It's not even a solution at all. The problem of the broken tile hasn't been resolved. The tile is still broken. We're just choosing to ignore its broken state. We aren't fixing the problem. We are avoiding the problem. In the same way, we cannot simply avoid our sinfulness and claim we are fixing our sin issue. Because that isn't going to fix anything. Our deepest problem is not that we sin. It's that we have remnants of a wicked heart within us. It's that we have a flesh that wants to do evil, that wants to carry out sin. So when we simply seek to just avoid sin and bear fruit, we are ignoring our own condition. And this is a condition we cannot fix ourselves. Sorry, this is really, I have small ears. So when we read passages like this, we have to be really careful We can't read it from a posture of, okay, I got to go do this and do that to bear fruit and make sure that I'm a Christian. We cannot think that way. In fact, in this passage, Jesus never once gives a command to go and bear fruit. He never tells us that that is what we need to do. Instead, Jesus commands us to abide in him and the result will be that we bear fruit. There's a really big difference there. Our goal should not be to just be people who bear more fruit. Our goal should be to be people who are abiding in Jesus. So this morning, my New Year's resolution and encouragement and exhortation for all of us to take on is this. Abide in Jesus. That's what we're to do. We are to abide in Jesus. But an important question we need to answer is, what does it mean to abide? And this is the word that has over time, when we use it, has come to be very pseudo-spiritual and mystical in nature. But that's not the way the word is meant to be. To abide means simply to stay or remain in Jesus. It means to not leave or forsake him. It means to never stop looking to him for hope, peace. Love, light, and satisfaction. To be a Christian fundamentally is to be someone who is abiding in Christ. Jesus teaches us that it's impossible to be a Christian without abiding in him. And if you are unable to abide in him or you're unwilling to abide in him, then you do not belong to Christ. You are not a Christian. 
My hope for everyone this morning is that we look at Jesus's words in John 15. We will see the wonderful reality of abiding in Jesus. And we will all believe with full faith that abiding in Jesus is a core aspect of the good life. And my prayer is that for anyone who isn't abiding in him, your eyes would be opened, your heart would be pierced, and you would turn to and trust Jesus. And for the believers in the room, I pray you would be energized and encouraged to continually rest in Jesus until the day that you die. So the way we're going to do this is look at the results of abiding. We've already talked through what abiding means and what abiding is. So what happens when we abide in Jesus? What is the result of abiding in Jesus? Better yet, before we answer that question, we should ask, what is the result of not abiding in Jesus? And I believe to this question, Jesus gives us three answers in this text. To make it straightforward, we can think about each of these as an inward result, an outward result, and an eternal result. So if you're in your seat right now contemplating if abiding in Jesus is really worth it, or if you're doubting this encouragement, asking yourself what the point is, hopefully Jesus' words here will give you a clear answer. So what happens if we don't abide in Jesus? First, we see the inward result. You have hopelessness. In verse four, Jesus says the branch cannot bear fruit by itself and neither can you. Imagine in your house or driveway on the street, there's a tree branch that has fallen off of a tree in a storm. But to personify this tree branch a little bit, the branch doesn't know that it's not connected to the tree anymore. So the branch sits on the ground and works and works and works and works as hard as it can but it just never seems to be able to grow what it's supposed to grow. The reason is because the branch must be connected to the vine to receive nourishment and to be able to grow anything. And without the vine, the branch will be hopeless to do anything. There is no hope for this branch. And Jesus says the same is true of anyone who doesn't abide in him. You can try all you want, but you will never do anything outside of Christ. You can work and work and work and work until your little heart can't work anymore and it will still all be meaningless. You will be full of hopelessness and despair because you were not connected to the vine. Second, if you don't abide in Jesus, we learn that outwardly you will experience uselessness. No matter who you are, no one on earth wants to be seen as useless. No one wants people to look at them and go, man, he is good for nothing. I've heard that a few times in my life, typically from my wife. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Not usually. Um, But nobody wants to be known that way, like good for nothing. In verse five, Jesus says, though, this is exactly what you'll be if you don't abide in Christ. Useless. Listen to what he says. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. You are useless. You cannot know him. You cannot love him. You cannot walk with him. You cannot bear fruit in him. You cannot rest in him. You cannot live for him. You are useless. And if you don't abide in Jesus, there is no place for you at his table. 
And because of this, we learn number three, which is that if you don't abide in Jesus, then eternally you will receive condemnation. Jesus says in verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. These are sharp words from Jesus. Abiding in him is so important and so essential that if you don't, you will be thrown away into the fire. And to be clear, Jesus is talking about hell here. But don't hear me wrong. You can't abide in Jesus simply because you want out of hell. You abide in Jesus because he is good and righteous and holy and caring and loving. And because you're in a real deep, authentic relationship with him. But if you don't abide in Jesus, you will get what you deserve. Condemnation, hell and wrath. This is what happens if we don't abide in Jesus. You will be hopeless, you will be useless, and you will be condemned. I think to say that's a bad resume would be a terrible understatement. But the question we've yet to answer with good news is what happens if we do abide in Jesus? What is the result of that? And just as Jesus gave answers to the previous question, he gives us answers to this question in his words right here. So here are five results of abiding in Jesus. Number one, fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. We've already talked through this some, but look at the words of Jesus again in verses four and five and then in verses nine and ten. In verse four and five, he clearly says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. Then in verses nine and ten, he looks back to this reality. But instead, this time says, if you abide in my love, you will bear much fruit. And this is the same command, essentially, it's just slightly more specific. He tells his disciples to abide in him, then more explicitly tells them to abide in his love. In other words, they must always look to the love of Christ for them, shown most vividly on the cross, to abide in him. The fuel for their remaining in Jesus wasn't their own willpower or drive. It was the love of Christ poured out to them. And then we learn from Jesus' words that there is a direct link between abiding in Jesus and producing fruit. And Christian in the room right now, the only way for you to bear fruit is if you abide in Jesus. You must Abide in him. And as a result, you will bear great fruit. But you may be sitting there thinking, Tucker, I know you say abiding will bear fruit, but why should I really care about bearing fruit? This is what my response to you would be. Why would you not? Why would you not want to be known by being someone who bore great fruit for the sake of Christ? Why would you not want to be known as someone who has extremely extraordinary love, kindness, and patience? Why would you not want to be known to have inexpressible joy in the midst of all circumstances? Why would you not want to have peace that surpasses all understanding? Why would you not want to be someone who has self-control over their sinful desires and passions? Why would you not want to be known as someone as faithful and trustworthy. These are all fruits of abiding in Jesus. Bearing fruit isn't simply, yep, I read my Bible today. No, 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 no. Here's what happens. 
as we abide in Christ, he is bearing fruit from us by creating change in us. This goes back to the first statement we made about not seeking to suppress our sinful desires. The fruit of abiding in Christ is that the person that I am changes literally. Yes, I'm living for Christ, but I'm living for Christ as he is transforming me from the inside out. And the work that he is doing inside of me is glorious. In Galatians 5, Paul says the fruit of the spirit that Christ is bearing in us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's what Christ is doing in me. But even when we look to this list, we're tempted to think, man, I need to do that better. I'm terrible at that. I need to do this a little bit better. I'm pretty good at that one. But ultimately, what we learn from Jesus's words in John 15 is that it's not about doing. It's about delighting. For example, maybe you're someone who gets road rage when you're driving down the road, like you're constantly switching lanes, honking your horn. You get mad at people quickly and you've resolved to be more patient this year. Or maybe this is probably more like it. You tend to lack love and care for your wife and kids and you've resolved to be more selfless and more caring. Those aren't bad things by any means, but here's the issue. I can guarantee you, you will experience no real growth at all if you just resolve to do things. You will only grow if you are delighting in Jesus. If you want to love your spouse better, the only way to do this truly is to abide in Jesus. If you want to be more patient on the road, the only way to truly do this is to abide in Jesus. If you want to be more joyful at your job, the only way to truly do that is to abide in Jesus. If you want to be more disciplined to actually do things, the only way to do that is to abide in Jesus. If we resolve to suppress and avoid our sin, we will not make any real progress. We can't just seek to push away our sin. We must instead push into Christ and allow him to transform us from the inside out so that we will truly be more loving, more patient, more joyful and more kind. When we focus on rest in and delight in Jesus, he will transform us and he will cause us to bear fruit. This is glorious. The work of the Christian life isn't up to my ability alone to carry it out. It's up to my willingness to trust Christ and allow his spirit to do the transforming work within me. This is the first result of abiding fruitfulness. The second result we see from Jesus's word is answered prayer. Answered prayer. Jesus gets really practical and ground level here. And at first, to me at least, it would seem as if abiding and answering prayer are not really correlated at all. But Jesus teaches that they are. In verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And this is a bold statement from Jesus. If you abide in Jesus, you ask whatever you wish and it will be done done and immediately as I say that I'm sure many of us if not all of us are 
flooded with thoughts of what we can and want to ask for from Jesus because he says he's going to answer it and give us what we want. Maybe, maybe I can ask for money or for this to be done or for a promotion or for that to be done and God's going to do it. Like, if this is true, I can make my life incredible. But if we look at Jesus' words holistically, it's obvious that that's not really what Jesus means. This verse is planted right in the middle of all of Jesus' talk about bearing fruit. He talks about bearing fruit before this verse, and he talks about bearing fruit after this verse. So it's kind of odd that Jesus just throws in a statement about prayer right in the middle. But there is a specific reason Jesus says this here. Jesus says that if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. That's super clear. But as humans, when we bear fruit, there's a temptation for all of us to go, man, I really did a great job bearing that fruit. Like I've become much more blank this year. I've done this. This is this is great. Like I'm glad I'm proud of what I've done. And this is precisely why Jesus plants this verse right here, because the prayer Jesus talks about here is prayer for fruit bearing. When we pray, we are to pray in a way that produces the fruit in us that Jesus has called us to bear. Jesus is really painting a portrait of how all this works together. When we abide in Jesus, he uses our prayers to produce the fruit in us. This is important because it makes us recipients of grace through prayer and keeps us from seeing ourselves as the reason for change through performance. This revelation of answered prayer from Jesus makes us recipients rather than reasons. And we attribute all that is in us to prayer rather than performance. Knowing this should change the way we pray. Instead of praying, God, give me more money, we should pray, God, fill me with more love for others. Instead of praying, God, I want to be successful by climbing the ladder and being the best, we should pray, God, I want to make much of you in everything I do. That's what determines my success. Instead of praying, God, give me help so that I can live a long and prosperous life, we should pray, God, allow me to never take a breath for granted and live every moment in pursuit of you. Do you hear the difference in those prayers? The one type is focused on me and making my life better. The other is focused on God and making much of his glory. One is focused on getting what the flesh wants. The other is focused on bearing fruit for The father and Jesus says, as we abide in him, this is how we will pray. If we allow his word to abide in us, we will want and pray for the same things he wants and prays for. And it's through that abiding in Jesus that God is going to graciously answer our prayers. I know it's a lot. So to simplify, abiding in Jesus causes us to pray in a way that produces fruit in us. And abiding in Jesus is how God will answer those prayers and actually cause us to bear fruit. This whole concept, I believe, is explained pretty well in Psalm 37, 4. Here, David says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. But. When you're delighting in the Lord, what are the desires of your heart? His desires. If your delight is in him, your desire will be in him. 
God will give us what we want because it's ultimately what he wants. So when we abide in Jesus, we begin to want to bear fruit for him. We will pray that God will bear fruit in us and God will bear fruit in us because that's what he wants to do. When we abide in Jesus, our desires align with God's desires and therefore our prayers are faithfully answered to give us grace and to give him glory. And that reality leads us right into the next result of abiding, which is God's glory. Immediately in verse eight, Jesus says, by this, my father is glorified. What does Jesus mean when he says by this, by this? I would argue that Jesus is talking about what he has just said previously and what he is about to say. So before this, he said, whatever you ask, it will be done for you. And after this, he said that you bear much fruit. So here's the two part way the father is glorified, our fruitfulness and our answered prayer. The very two things we just talked about. When we bear fruit, God is glorified because it is him working in us, not any work we're doing ourselves. And when we pray, God is glorified because he is graciously and faithfully answering our prayers. This is what it all comes down to. This is the deepest root of all Jesus is saying. The ultimate goal of Jesus and the ultimate goal of God himself is his own glory. Period. And that includes the call for us to abide. When we abide in Jesus, God will answer our prayers and we will bear fruit. But ultimately, all of that is happening because it will result in God's glory. And if you are abiding in Jesus, nothing you do is for your own glory or recognition. Nothing. And if you are living for yourself, then you are fundamentally not abiding in Jesus. There is no both. Your life is either pointing to God's glory or pointing to your own. And if you're in this room right now and you think pursuing your glory is worth forsaking God's for, let me tell you, you have no idea what you're missing out on. The greatest joy you can ever experience in life is to look back once your life is over and be able to say my life's greatest purpose was found in making much of God. Like I, I pray that will be the mark of my life. God's glory alone. It's all about him. It's all through him. It's all with him and it is all for him. Your glory is meaningless. But his glory is magnificent. Your glory is temporary, but his glory is eternal. Your glory is futile, but his glory is fantastic. He is the all sovereign, all wonderful, all powerful creator. And he wants he's chosen to use us to bring glory to himself. This is a miracle. And the ultimate way we can be sure that this God is glorified in us is by abiding in Jesus, resting in Jesus, remaining in Jesus. That's how God will be glorified in you and me. And the fourth result we see from abiding in Jesus is in this same verse and it's assurance. The end of verse eight says that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
If you're a Christian, then you've probably wrestled at some point with the question, am I really saved? It's normal. It's not good, but it's normal to feel doubt. It's actually one of the tools of the enemy to convince us that we're still in need and that the work of Jesus isn't sufficient. But what Jesus says is that when we abide in him and when we bear fruit, it will give us full proof and assurance that we are his disciples. When you encounter the question, do I truly know Jesus? Am I truly saved or am I just a fraud? Jesus would say to look at your fruit. If you are bearing good fruit, then he says that proves you are his disciple. But when I say that, though, immediately my mind thinks of Matthew 7, where Jesus says that many will approach him on the day of judgment and basically say, didn't we bear fruit in your name? And Jesus will say, flee from me, for I never knew you. So again, this paradox, it seems, shows us that simply doing good things, even if it's in the name of Jesus, is not what proves we are his disciples. According to Matthew 7, good work starts with knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus, or in the words of John 15, abiding in Jesus. This Matthew text actually implies that good works are impossible if you don't know and aren't abiding in Jesus. But if you truly know and are abiding in Jesus, this will result in good fruit. And you can look at that fruit and have full assurance that you belong to him. Not because of the work that you're doing, but because of the work that he's doing in you as you abide. So if you, Christian, want assurance, if you want to know that you know Jesus, abide in him and watch as he bears fruit in your life. Moving from here, the fifth and final result we see from abiding in Jesus is complete joy. And this is awesome. Not just any joy, but full, complete, absolute joy. In verse 11, after Jesus has said all we've just talked about, he says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Have you ever looked at someone in a terrible, tragic, awful situation and they still somehow seem to have great joy? If you have, it's pretty incredible to see something so radical and so unexplainable in someone. But most of the time that's possible because of the words of Jesus right here. We can have full and complete joy by abiding in him. Because when we abide in Jesus, we get his joy. And he said that his joy will be in us. He said these things so that his joy will be in us and that his joy will make our joy full and complete. But what is Jesus's joy? What exactly is this joy that he's placing in us? I believe we can find a great answer to that question in Hebrews 12, too which says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. In eternity, sitting on the throne, interceding for his people until he returns. Get this. 
Jesus' greatest joy is seeing his, uh, his glory in the salvation of undeserving sinners. His greatest joy is seeing his glory being made much of in undeserving sinners like you and me. His greatest joy is seeing undeserving sinners abiding in him and the life that he gives. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, enduring the wrath of God, in his mind was the joy of redeemed saints gathered around the throne, worshiping his glorious name forever. If you haven't run to Jesus to give you this eternal life and joy, what are you waiting for? He died and endured the wrath of God so that you could be set free from the bondage of your sin. And more than that, he allows us to abide in him. And by his grace, when we are abiding in him, we receive the same joy that he has. Overwhelming completely satisfying full joy in him being glorified among his people and this is ultimately why you can encounter people who have joy in the midst of unthinkable circumstances because the source of their joy is not how good or bad their life is the source of their joy is the wonderful life that they have in Christ in other words the source of their joy is the good life The good life gives unexplainable, complete joy because as we abide in Jesus, we receive his joy. And this doesn't mean life won't be burdensome or life won't be hard. It definitely will be. But even in the darkest of circumstances, you will still be able to have fullness of joy as you abide in Jesus. This is such hopeful news. So what are the results of abiding in Jesus? Well, abiding in Jesus results in answered prayer and great fruit in you for the glory of God. Abiding in Jesus results in full affirmation that you truly do belong to him. And abiding in Jesus gives you the full and complete joy of Christ. But let's not forget what happens if you don't abide in Jesus. You will have no hope. You will be of no use and you will be cut off and thrown into the fire. Not be foolish to assume that everyone in the room today is abiding in Jesus. And there are many in the room who are probably convinced that you are abiding in him. But really, you've just taped yourself onto this vine and you're living some sort of moralistic life that is completely dependent on doing good in order to not be condemned. If you're one of those people, if you're not abiding in Jesus truthfully, let me remind you, though hopelessness is coming, there is hope for you now. You can trust Christ. If you've been caught up in trying to do good or just ignoring trying to do good and doing bad and you've never truly repented of your sin, throwing yourself completely and fully on the work of Jesus on the cross, you can. You cannot tape yourself onto this tree and expect to have life. But Jesus can graft you in. All you must do is come to him needy. In light of all of this, I'll remind you of the exhortation 
<coughs> excuse me, and New Year's resolution that I gave at the beginning of this message. Abide in Jesus. Do you want to bear fruit? Abide in Jesus. Do you want to be in real, deep communion with God? Abide in Jesus. Do you want God to be glorified in your life? Abide in Jesus. Do you want full assurance of your faith? Abide in Jesus. Do you want complete joy that surpasses all understanding? Abide in Jesus. If you want to know the one thing you can do that supersedes everything and completely changes everything in your life, abide in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. Have unwavering commitment to Jesus. Spend daily time with Jesus in his word. Commune with Jesus constantly in prayer. Stand in awe of Jesus routinely through worship. Invest time with Jesus in his church and never leave or forsake Jesus in any circumstance. This is what abiding in Jesus looks like. And the results of abiding in Jesus are far greater than anything that any of us could ever fathom. So if you want to live the good life, spend your life abiding in Jesus. Trust him, rest in him, and remain in him. Abide in him.